you're here with us. Um, if you kind of walked in late, this screen is out, so we apologize for that. So if you want to follow along, follow along on the side screens. We are in our third week on a series going through baggage, baggage that we carry that weighs us down and holds us back in life. And so we've uh, just talked about, kind of made the correlation, uh, you know, when you travel, I've gotten down where when I travel, I can pretty much go anywhere with just this size bag and I can get anywhere I want to be for about a week and and be all right with that and have everything I need. And yet I watch people go through the airport and they've got just a lot of baggage that they're trying to carry and do things with and keep and things that they feel like they got to hold on to or take with them places. And it just, it kind of slows you down, makes it harder to travel. Well, same thing goes with life. We carry baggage with us that makes it harder to get through life, that makes it harder for us to accomplish what we want to in life, for us to, to find the abundance of life that God has for us, that God desires for us, um, and to live life to its fullest. And so we talked the first week about guilt and how we hold on to guilt and we carry things from the past that God wants us just to, to give to him, to confess to him and to seek to repent. And as we do that, we can, re, we can remove that guilt from our life. So confession being the, the kind of key, the answer to guilt. And then last week looked at jealousy and how jealousy is something kind of most of us carry around. It's kind of like that lap bag, right? That we carry it around. We don't think too much about it. We think, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and yet jealousy can grow, and it can really destroy the way we look at life and help make us where we're not thankful for what we have. And um, so we talked about the, the answer to jealousy is, being, is thanksgiving and celebration, being able to be, have thanksgiving and celebration. And so today I want to talk about something that probably most of us are going to think, well, this, I'm, this is a sermon for someone else. Right? This is one of those things that we all know about, but we all know another person that struggles with this. It's not us, it's somebody else, and that's greed. And uh, I'm going to hopefully help us see that chances are we all struggle with greed at some level. It's almost impossible to live in the American culture and not be affected by greed at some level. I would say that's one of the great sins of America uh, is is greed. So how, how do we how do we live in a culture and not be affected by it? So so we're going to talk about greed and and how we handle that. And we're going to see that the answer to greed, the solution to greed in our life, is generosity. So that's kind of where we're going to go with this. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you so much um, for this opportunity to for us to just come together and um, God hear from you to learn from you. And God, um, I just pray that you. Speak to our hearts this morning. Um, God, there's, this is one of those topics that sometimes when we start really digging into it, it can kind of be a little painful and poke a bit. And um, so, God, I pray that uh, we just open ourselves up to you and uh, we allow you to speak through us and or speak to us. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think this is also my water bottle from First Service. Let's hope. All right. Okay, um, so uh, talking about greed, um, the, uh, when w- raising my kids, you know, what is, what's one of the first things we teach, we try to teach our kids? We try to teach our kids how to 
share, right? So if you have more than one child, especially, you know that that can be difficult. That's probably one of the biggest things that they fight about when they're little is like, that's mine. First word, right? Mine, mine, right? That's one of the first things they, a kid learns, right? Um, so we have to, we teach them to share. Why? Because we have to teach things that don't come natural, right? The reason we have to teach our children to share is because it's, that is just not naturally who we are to be shared, to share, to be generous. Naturally, who we are is to be greedy, to be self-preserving, to be selfish, okay? So, so once we get that and admit that, then, now we, then we can deal with this aspect in our life. When growing up, it's really funny because probably the most generous of my ch- children today was the greediest as a little kid. Like, the, the, like she just, she had the hardest time sharing things. Um, she was really sweet in like what she would offer, but especially like when it came to food. And I think maybe she, she was the youngest of three at the time. And so I think it's Hannah. And I, I think she, um, she just, I don't know, she like was used to them pushing her out and getting stuff, you know, and her not getting there or whatever because she became like, if she got a cookie and you like you said well your sister doesn't have share you know share she just like like it just like it was like this huge process and like if she had a lot of cookies you know and you said share like if she had like a package of cookies and you said share some with your sister she would like look through and find the one that kind of had was kind of broken up a little bit and then give her sister that one cookie not a couple of them one cookie and like if she had a cookie and you said you know share share a piece of that cookie she wouldn't even because if she broke the cookie it might break off more than she was intending she would like literally like scratch at it until enough came yeah i'm just kidding she didn't do that but but that's how she just was not good with sharing and she kind of grew up to be she she's overcome that and she's a generous generous person for the uh, most part still struggles like we all do um but but this idea of greed is something that oftentimes we think of someone else and yet most of us have to deal with a lot of times, I think the reason we don't think of ourselves as being greedy is we are able to disguise greed. You know, we can call it something else at times. Some people are greedy in the way they, they kind of hoard their finances, right? And they, so we, it, there's nothing wrong with saving, though, right? We save money. That's okay to save money. Um, but, but we can kind of get to a point where we're hoarding. Um, some people are greedy in the way they just obtain stuff, right? And we tell ourselves, well, I just, I'd like to, I just like to enjoy nice things. Or, you know, we kind of write it off as, well, I can just be kind of compulsive and I, and I buy a little bit more, you know, so we kind of, we, we admit that it's not right that we can be so compulsive, but we don't call it greed. Or we even make it spiritual and we say, well, I'm just enjoying what God gave me, right? And the problem is, it's a, it's a shady line, it's fuzzy because... There's nothing wrong with saving money. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that we have. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. So how do we determine when it becomes greedy? So that's what I want to look at this morning, and hopefully we'll be able to see that. Um, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. Actually, verse 17 through 22 is what we're going to be looking at. Mark chapter 10, if you're looking for it in your Bible, first part of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, right after Matthew, the second book of your New Testament, says this, 
says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, why was he sad? I mean, the Bible says it was because he had great wealth, but was it just because he had a lot of stuff um, or a lot of money? I, I don't think so. Let me explain why. One, I don't think... That Jesus is trying to say that everyone needs to give away everything they have. This is the only person that Jesus asks this of. No one else that Jesus comes in contact with does he ask this of. And yet, he spent quite a bit of time with some very wealthy people. They even had, Jesus and his disciples had their own treasury bag in which they ran their ministry out of. Um, so, they weren't beggars. It doesn't seem like he's trying to tell everybody, hey, no, nobody can have anything. I think what it is is that Jesus recognized this man's heart. He knew that this man, this was the area that he struggled with. This is what his problem area was going to be, was, was his finances. He wanted to follow Jesus, but, but he wanted to make sure he always had his safety of his money. And that was going to be the most important thing, the number one thing. You see, the Bible talks a lot about our finances, and Jesus does specifically. Why? I believe because he knows it's his chief competition. I believe it's because he knows that that's what we struggle with of putting as Lord of our life over anything else is our finances, our greed, our, our desire for self-preservation. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught dealt with money. There are 228 verses in the Gospels alone that talk about how we utilize our resources and finances. That's one out of ten. One out of ten verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about that. Yet only 500 that talk about faith and about 500 that talk about prayer. Why? Because God knows our hearts. God knows we have to teach our kids to share their cookies. Right? God knows that that is not what comes natural to us, is to be generous. Um, and there's the thing I think we need to understand. Yes, this was a wealthy man that he's dealing with. And later on, we're going to look at a poor woman that he uses as a good example. But this is not a financial issue. Greed and generosity are not financial issues. They are heart issues. So as we go through this, a couple questions I would ask you to just ask yourself in your heart as we, as we deal with this, to kind of find out, is this maybe a question, is this maybe a uh, message that is aimed at you versus it being aimed at someone else? Um, is God trying to speak to you on this? So here's some questions. Um, one, is it hard for you to give money or resources away? You know, is, it, is it hard for you to, to do that? 
And resources don't have to be money. They can be, and they don't even have to be financial. They can be your time. Um, is, is it hard for you to volunteer t time and to give, give things away? Or your possessions, is it hard for you to, to loan those out and, and just trust with those? Are you quick to make excuses when opportunities arise? Are you quick to make excuses? And when you do give something, do you feel like the person or the organization now owes you something in return? So as we, as we deal with this, just, just kind of ask yourself those questions. So let's look, one, at where does greed come from? I, I really believe that greed starts with the root of fear. Greed's number one ally is fear. We, we have a fear of what if. Right? Now, like I said, we disguise greed with all these things like, you know, being, well, I'm, I'm seeking to be independent or, or I'm going to have self-reliance. I don't need to rely on anyone else. I'm, I'm just trying to be prepared for my family. And all these things can be honorable, but, but if not done in the right way and not with the right heart, they become greed. They become based in fear. What ifs? What if? What if? Something horrible happens. What if I lose everything? What if I can't retire? What if I can't take care of my family or I can't take care of my kids? What if um, I, God, doesn't want to, God doesn't provide you know, at the level that I want him to provide at, at the level of living I feel like I should be able to live at? I, I can't give. I can't be generous because I've got to keep protecting myself because of what ifs. We can what if ourselves to death with anything, Right? People scare themselves to death out of what ifs. My daughter, there again, talking about Hannah. Hannah will what if herself to death over a spider, right? She, the smallest spider, she just will go into a tailspin of fears over what if, right? And she's like, like she one little spider. I remember when she was a little kid, she would stand in the hallway and like if she thought there was a spider, like it could be a fuzzball, and she would just stand and she couldn't leave. She would just scream. Till someone came, because what if that spider attacks me? And it was like this big. And, um, you know, so, you know, now it's like, what if there's a nest of spiders in our, my, my ceiling? Or what, you know, what if? So being the loving, good dad I am, I randomly sent her photos of spiders um, that jump. Like, oh, they'll be sitting there, and then they jump. It's really tough. <laughs> but, but fear. Well, keep, fear causes greed. Fear that God won't provide, God won't take care. Fear that I, I may not have enough. Once again, remind, let me, and I'm going to keep reiterating this because I want to make sure we're clear. There's nothing wrong with saving or having some things. But we need to be able to save and have these things while being able to also give sacrificially and trusting God with our resources. If not, it becomes greed. It becomes greed. So what happens when we, when we get greedy? What, what, and where, what, what happens to our thinking? It leads to entitlement. It leads to entitlement. Greed gives us a supersized sense of ownership. A supersized sense of ownership. That's what entitlement is, right? I deserve. I, this is mine, and everything should be for me, and, and people should do for me and, and give to me. I say this mindset of I owe me. Look at Luke chapter 12. Verse, we're going to look at verse 13 through 21. Luke chapter 12. Right after Mark. If you're in Mark, just one book back from Mark. Luke 12, 16 through, or 13 through 21 says this. 
So someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Let's stop right there for a second. That issue alone, I have seen people ruin their lives over. I've seen families torn apart over this idea of inheritance. This guy's coming to Jesus and he's saying, make, make my brother give me my fair share of inheritance. Do you know how many families I've seen destroyed over inheritance? Be, be, because we, we've, I've got to have the equal pair. They're, you know, they're living in the house. It's not their house. We're supposed to sell that house so we all get the assets. But we're arguing over things we don't even deserve. We did nothing to deserve it. We have no ownership over it whatsoever. And yet we'll destroy our families sometimes over an inheritance. And that's what, that was what was happening here. And so Jesus goes into this parable. And he says, he told, he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. You hear that? It's perfect irony. He builds all the stuff up, and God says, You're gonna die. You're not even gonna get to use all this. He wanted to keep it all for himself and he ends up losing his life. This is another sad thing I've seen in our culture. I've seen a lot of families have to go through their parents' possessions after they pass away, things that they continued to hoard. I'm, we're kind of going through that with my grandparents right now. They're in their late mid-90s, mid and um, up until about a year ago, we're pretty healthy, and the last few months have not been that healthy. And I thank God that they've done a great job of just releasing things. They, they just didn't hold on to a lot of stuff compared to some families I've seen what they have to go through. They, they just let it go because they, they knew they didn't need it. Didn't, but it's still kind of a heartaching thing to go through it because you know that even, even the things that they hang on to, a few a percentage will be enjoyed by other people and their family or will have a sentimental you know, value. But, but so much of it isn't isn't anything of use to other people. And yet we hold on to things. We hold on. And God says, your life will be demanded. And then all this stuff that you've prepared for yourself, someone else is going to get it. You do get that, right? Everything you acquire, someone else is going to get someday. And chances are they're going to think it's junk and get rid of it. Right, but 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 we we this everything that we get eventually is gonna go to somebody else. We don't get to keep it. It doesn't go with us. And this man had this idea that somehow he needed to keep it all. You know, the, he, Jesus was teaching this in an agricultural society. They understood that this abundance that he had really 
it wasn't something he did to earn. Sure, he worked his land. He worked his land, but it doesn't say that he got he acquired more land or he did anything. He just worked the normal land that he that he worked. He just happened to get an abundant harvest that year, and that happens, right? It, and and it just certainly there was effort put in by him, but he also was blessed in ways that other people weren't blessed. But because he had a mindset that he owns it all, his mindset was not to help other people with it or that maybe God gave it to him so that other people could use it. His mindset was, hey, this is for me. This is all for me to do what I want to do with it. A guy named um, Minion McCullen wrote uh, what's called the Second Neurotics Notebook. And in it, he says this. He says, your money or your life? We know what to do when a burglar makes this demand of us, but not when God does. Think about that. See, if a burglar holds a gun to you and says, give me your money, what do we do? You're going to give him whatever's on you. But when God, for some reason, says, hey, if you want the abundant life that I have for you, you need to quit hoarding for yourself, and you need to learn to be generous and love others and take care of other people and do those things. For some reason, that's where we go, hey, 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 hey. Now you're getting personal. Right? That, that, that life, the life, the life, the true abundant life, we, we're willing to sacrifice in order to keep. A lot of us, I think we suffer from BBS. That's what this guy in the, uh, the parable suffered from. Bigger barn syndrome, right? We think we need bigger and bigger barns. We just have to have bigger and bigger barns. Once again, there's nothing wrong with saving. There's nothing wrong with having some nice things. But I think we have to be real with looking at There's an epidemic in our country. You know, I just read this this week. The self-storage industry didn't really take off until 1960. That's when it kind of started as a real industry. It didn't start really growing until the 1990s. So 1990s is when it really started growing. And if I look back on that, that makes sense to me. I grew up in a town five to six times bigger than the uh, Heber Valley. And I can only remember one good-sized storage unit area when, where I was growing up compared to Heber, where there's plenty. So it didn't start growing until the 1990s. It now is a $22 billion annual industry. $22 billion annual industry. There are 58,000 facilities across the United States with an average of 500 and And this 58,000 major facilities, these are ones that are owned by uh, corporations where there's more than, than one. There's other, you know, random private ones. But 58,000 averaging an average amount of units of 50, 566 units in the United States. That means that over 9% of households in America have a storage unit. Over 9% of households in America have a storage unit. While all the longer, all, all the time, remembering that the average home today to house a family of five is 60% bigger than the average home in 1960 to house a family of five. Any chance we have bigger barn syndrome? Any chance that we, we've somehow bought into the same problem that this guy has? Here's the sad thing about it. Most of it is housing junk. Some of them are, are, are 
you know, valid like things for like small businesses and stuff where they use it to, so they don't have to have a store, uh, an actual storefront or, you know, they can just store some of the things, that kind of stuff. Some of it is that, that kind of thing and people moving from one place to another and they have to store for two months, that, that kind of thing happens. But the majority is to store people's stuff that could have been liquidated at the, that point at a decent um, value, but instead usually sits to the point where it usually just becomes junk. In fact, so much junk that over 150,000 of these units are auctioned every year. The, the, the contents are auctioned every year at an average less than $500 a unit. So someone, do the math on that, someone was paying $80 to $140 a month for the storage unit to store it for 1 to 10 to 12 years, that then later on, it eventually just ended up being auctioned off all of the contents in there for 500 bucks. So someone spent $1,000 to $10,000 to hold it that someone else bought for less than 500 bucks because it's mostly junk. See, and I, I say all that to just say, do we see that maybe we have bought in to this mindset? Maybe this isn't somebody else's problem. Maybe it's, our, it's a problem that we have to look at as a culture. See, it's not what we have, it's why. It's the attitude behind it, the heart of it. Think about it this way. Every few years, Tanya and I go and we sit down with our, a financial planner. And one of the first questions our financial planner asks us when we sit down with him is this. So, tell me about your goals. Right? Why? He wants to know about our goals. Why, does he, why don't we, I, we sit down and I say, hey, tell me about your goals. Why don't we do that? Because it's not his money we're going to talk about. It's my money we're going to talk about. He's the manager of my money. He's the steward of that money. And, I, and so his job is to find out what is important to Shane. What are Shane's goals so that sh I can manage that money well enough that Shane is pleased with that and Shane will continue putting more money into this and I can continue increasing and helping him meet his goals. And as a result, he's going to continue to give me more opportunities to steward those finances. That's, that's what a, man, a financial planner does. Why? Because it's not his money. And yet, we are not the owners of our stuff. It's God's. We are the managers. We are the stewards. See, we've, talk, we've talked over and over again about Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the stewards. And in that, he says, you know, look, there's stiff, the manager, the owner gave different stewards different amounts. And based on how they handled that, those amounts, that he was pleased with that. God has blessed us with so much. And yet so often, instead of seeing it as his, we see it as ours. And we don't have his goals in mind. We let our goals constantly get in the way of God's goals. Think about it this way. When, see, I, I think we get that. I really do. I think we get that as God's people because when the roles are revert, when the table is turned, we totally see him as in control. 
Because when I'm in a place of need, when we are in a place of need, when God's people are in need, what do we do? God, provide. Right? God, why am I going through this? Why don't I have, why haven't you provided? God, I need help. I need this. I need that. I need a job. I need, I need the funds to take care of things. I need, but then, once he provides it, what do we do? We turn it back and go, this is mine. God, hey, whoa, 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 this is mine. You see the difference? We, we got to have the right mind. We have to have the same mindset the whole time. We have to understand that it's his. How many of us ask when, ask this, how many of us says, God, what would you have me do with the extra? What would you have me do with it? Or when we get more, do we just kind of go, hey, lucky me? When we get a raise, do we just say, hey, lucky me? When we get a tax return, lucky me. We get a promotion, lucky me. We sell our house and make a good profit on a house, lucky me. I would say, God, what would you, what would you have me do with this? Right? Tax returns. The average American, right, get a, if they get a tax return, not only are they going to go out and spend that tax return, they actually spent it before they got the tax return. We didn't take the time to ask God what he would do with it, where he would, where he would have us put those finances, how we would invest in his goals. Instead, we went out and got ourselves more in debt to the bank. So that we can have something we want. See, are, are we getting that maybe greed isn't someone else's problem? That maybe greed is just a problem that we all struggle with and deal with in some level. But Jesus said life doesn't consist of an abundance of our possessions. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says it best. I, whoever loves money never has money enough. See, we were not designed to serve money. When we begin serving money, it starts to malfunction our life. So the next, how do we deal with this? How do we conquer it? We conquer it through generosity. Greed is conquered through generosity. Look at Luke 21, 1 through 4. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw a rich, the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in every, very, two very small copper coins. I Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of the, her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Is he commending her she, because she's poor? No. He's commending her because she gave sacrificially. She trusted God. She gave to a point where she had to trust him. See, as we said, there's nothing wrong with having some money. There's nothing wrong with having some things. But we have to ask why. Why, God? Why have you blessed me? Why, why God, am I born in the country that has the richest population? God, why did you give me gifts and strengths and skills so that I can own my own business or work a trade or have a skill that can make a good living? Why was I per- am I perfectly bodily able and not have a disability? Why do, um, do, did I, was I born to parents that were able to give me some things to get me ahead of others? Why? why? See, we don't ask God why on the, on the blessing side. We only ask him when things don't look fair to us. We've got to deal with why. Why do we have this? 
Andy Stanley, famous pastor and teacher, says this. He says, we need to slow down occasionally and force ourselves to wrestle with that question, why? Did God, why did God give us excess? Because a consumer-driven culture keeps us laser-focused on what we don't have, and focusing on what we don't have leaves our hearts vulnerable to greed. See, this is an uncomfortable question. I get it. It's an uncomfortable question to wrestle with and deal with. But I think if we're going to be honest, then we have to look at that kind of uncomfortable question. See, when the landowner, when the wealthy landowner got all the excess, he didn't ask why. He didn't ask God, what are your goals with this? He just said, lucky me. I deserve this. Lucky me. See, I fear that we as Christians in America are not free. We're not free. We're politically free, but we are not financially free. We have a master. The banks own us. And we cannot generously give to God's work because we have decided to continue being a slave to the banks, continuing to go into debt. I read one quote that said, our inflated sense of what's essential has, a cre- cre- yeah, has created our financial pressure. Our inflated sense of what's essential has created our financial pressure. It's an artificial pressure. You might go, whoa, well, I'm not saying my, I face pressure all the time because of finances. But is it truly a real pressure? Or is it an artificial pr- pressure because we bought in to what our culture tells us, that we need to live at a standard of what we make. No, not only that, we actually need to live about 3 to 4% higher than what we actually make because we can always pay it on payments with no money down. Same, same as cash for six months. Right? I was convicted this week. I uh, am... Uh, Two weeks ago, I was convicted that I, I am getting rid of our cable. We finally got out from under that, that agreement, and I was looking at that, and I'm like, man, that's going to save me like 120 bucks a month. And I was happy about that because we had the building fund com- coming up campaign, and I was like, you know what? That campaign, that, that money, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that towards the campaign, and I won't even miss it, and it's just one, one little way I can, I can not watch cable and, and be able to give to that. Until I started getting tempted with something I really wanted. I saw something I really wanted. I went, well, you know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't even m- notice that because I'm getting rid of that payment and I could, I could have that payment. And I wouldn't even notice it. And thankfully, God convicted me before I, I signed anything and moved forward on anything because it was obvious. I, I, didn't, I don't need that. And plus, Shane, you... You, you, you're going to sell out your integrity because you already promised me you cared about my goals. And you already promised me that my goal was what was going to be more important to you. And now you're willing to sell that out because you want something. So how do we, how do we deal with that? How do, we, how do we actually become generous? If generosity is the key, how, how do we make ourselves generous? Do we just walk out today and say, I'm a generous person? See, one of the reasons we don't struggle with, we don't struggle with feeling greedy, but most people don't feel greedy. I, I've never known someone that, you know, I said, hey, are you greedy? They went, yeah, I'm a pretty greedy person. 
You know, but I've met plenty of people that go, yeah, I'm jealous. I get jealous of people. You know, we're going to deal with anger next week. I know lots of people. I, I admit, yeah, I struggle with anger. I can get, I can get pretty worked up, you know. I, those things are kind of easy. For greed, it's kind of hard to admit. Why? Because we have compassion. And see, we see things and we feel compassion towards it and we feel like we would want to help that. But unfortunately, I can't. Because I have all these payments, and because I have this, and because I've built these big barns that I've got to keep running now. So I can't do that, but it's not my fault. I'm not a greedy person. I'm a totally generous person that would love to help. But I just can't do that right now because I have all these things going on. And later on when you ask me, I'll still have other things going on because I've added new ones, right? But I'm not a greedy person. But you see, greed has nothing to do, generosity and greed has nothing to do with how you feel. Generosity is based on action. We are not a generous pe- we are not generous people until we take action. At that point we become generous people. Until then we're just well-intended people. And well-intentions get you nowhere in life. I'm very healthy in my intentions. I'm like a supermodel right now. <laughs> right? But they're not getting me anywhere. So we've got to actually put things into practice. Go talking about our, look at look at our physical life, how we live. I, you know, if I want to get in shape, I got to go work out. I've got to be. I've got to do things to work those muscles. We've got to do stuff. We've got to discipline ourselves to work out generosity. To become generous, we can't just like it's not just going to happen. I don't know about you, but I don't. Wor- if I just waited to work out till I felt like it, I would not work out very often. I have to discipline myself to go at a specific time and just say that's when I'm going. I, I can't be when I feel like it. I also can't wait till time just frees itself up. I don't know about you, but if you're a very busy person, I've got five kids and I'm the pastor of a church and I've got a big family, other things going on, all that kind of stuff. I have hobbies I like to do. I very rarely, have, I, I can't think of the last time I just went, man, I have, I have like an hour right now. I, I literally can think of nothing to do. Oh, I guess I should go to the gym. I, I can't, and I literally, no way I could think of that going every day. All of a sudden, every day for the next year, just I have an hour that just opened up. It doesn't happen. How do I make? How do I make do that? I make a discipline to say I'm going to sacrifice this so I can do this. Same thing goes with generosity. So we got to do two things. We got to do start doing percentage generosity. We have to learn to be be. Pre- giving and generous with a percentage of our finances. Now, I know some of you, especially if maybe you're new, you might be thinking, oh, see, this is about them just wanting to give money to the church. If that's your feeling, please do not write a penny to the church. I don't, I don't care. Find another place to be generous about it. I, I really, I, I don't mind, okay? Just, just figure it out and find a way to be generous, but do it percentage-wise. I usually, I tell people to start between 2 and 4%. Why? Because if you say 10% right off, you're probably not going to do it. You're probably not going to really stick with it. Unless you just are, real, God is just doing a huge work in you. But if you say 1%, that's not sacrificial. You're not even going to feel it. For most people, you're not even going to feel it. Maybe you're going to have one less coffee a week. Right? It, it's, it's, not that, it's not enough to really be sacrificial. We can't be generous until it actually changes something about it. So if I give people, if, I, if someone's begging on a street and I give them the change in my pocket, am I being generous? Nope. I just weigh less. Right? That just, that's, just, that's, just, that's honestly me just saying, oh, okay, good, I don't have to carry that around. 
That's not a generous act. There's no sacrifice there. I was going to put that in a thing that was going to sit for 20 years until I could go buy something that's really still I could have bought anyway. Right? It's not generous. Generosity has to be a per- something to a point where it, it actually costs something. And I find that 2 to 4% is a great place for people to start. And then make a decision to start increasing that. And then second, and I'll just combine this with the last point, is spontaneous giving. Spontaneous giving. And spontaneous giving comes because we create margins in our life. And generosity will help you create margins. That's your last point, and I'm just going to kind of combine both of these. But generosity will help you create margins. Why? Because it changes your heart about money. I would be willing to bet that almost nobody in this room has a financial issue. That we almost all have a mindset issue. And then once we change that mindset, it changes the way we spend our money. And it changes the way we have. And then all of a sudden, we begin to actually have a little bit of surplus. We have some margins. And I'll tell you, you want to find joy in life? Wait till you have some margin money that you can spontaneously give to help somebody. You can spontaneously just bless someone who is going through a tough time. Bless someone who's been out of work. Bless someone who's going through a major uh, health issue. That will change your life, being able to bless people like that. I'll close with this. Guy, I, see, the cool thing is, is biblical principles also are just truth principles, even when, even when people don't follow the Bible. The, the truth of God's word, it, it just works. That's, the reason it's truth is because God knows us best and he knows what works. Check this out. A guy named Michael Norton, he's the associate professor of Harvard Business School. He conducted a study, and that study concluded that when people invest their money in others instead of themselves, it actually increases their happiness. It actually increases their happiness. See, it turns out that money can buy happiness. You just have to know where to invest it and where to put it. I know there's some, some tough stuff and stuff, different things to wrestle with. But you know, it really goes back to stuff we try to teach our kids. And over time, we just forget. When you're given a bag of cookies, share your cookies. Let's pray. God, I thank you um, for the many blessings you give us. And God, I just ask that you give us the strength to to really count our blessings. Um, God, to have be thankful and grateful for what we have. And um, God, to realize that, that, yeah, we may work hard for the things that you've blessed us with, but we have also been given quite a few opportunities that many in this world have never been given. Help us seek to, tr- to just trust you so that we can bless this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.